0: Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. You know, I was thinking uh, this morning. I was reading to one of my devotionals, and it—it's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. You know, and I think about the challenges that we see in our communities, in our nation, our country. And one of the solutions, men, is for us simply to be fathers. Now, you may not have kids, but you can be a father. You know, we look at the troubled kids, we look at the challenges, the violence, maybe in the communities, and and what if we turn that off and just started looking at the kids in our community? And, And you started noticing the kids that are coming into this building, and you, maybe it may be awkward, and it's probably awkward for the kids too, but would you just start reaching out and making connections? And when you're going to King Supers and you see one of those kids working there, would you start praying for them? That's how we're going to change our communities. We can't change our nation, but we can love our neighbors. And so fathers, I just wanna encourage you. Paul says we have many guardians, but we have very few fathers. And I think that's a calling uh, that God's given to us and we can live that out both in the church and also in our, our community. That's, that's my thought. Today. Happy Father's Day. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, um, we're going through Psalms of the Summer, and yet we're in Deuteronomy. (laughs) But it's going to make sense. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is actually a prayer. And let me share with you why we're going here. I'm going to be uh, out of town next week. Jim DeMoller is going to be blessing us and leading next Sunday morning. I'm excited about that. But one of the challenges that I've heard of as I've had conversations with people in the church and and those that may be Christians following Christ outside the church, is the way that they understand scripture and their relationship to the word of God and specifically their relationship to the word of God in terms of the challenges in our culture, the places where the Bible may conflict with the current culture of our day. And how do we understand the word of God How do we relate to it? And then how do we live that out in a community that often may reject it or conflict with it? And maybe we have areas that we're struggling with when it comes to what scripture says. And so today I wanna look at Deuteronomy chapter six and understand how God uses the Bible to draw our affections to himself. Now affections is a word that was used by Jonathan Edwards if you've heard of that name, he's a theologian, and he talked about religious affections. And affections are more than emotions, because your emotions kind of rise and fall based on the day and the experience, and your emotions are important, but your affections are your commitments. They're deeper. They flow out of the will. So for example, in August, we're gonna celebrate, I'm gonna celebrate, you can celebrate with us if you wanna join us, uh, our 25th wedding anniversary with my wife, Melissa. And we're excited about that. And I can tell you today that 25 years into my marriage, my affections for my wife have grown. I thought I loved her on the day we got married, but I love her much more today. And my heart is drawn to her because of all the experiences we've had together. I mean, graduating college together, graduating seminary together, uh, buying a house, having kids, going through challenges, hardships her loving me and through her grace and her kindness towards me, all of that has deepened my affections for her because I have these experiences with my wife. And see, likewise, through the scriptures and through walking with God, through prayer, through the spiritual disciplines, our affections for God can grow, but we have to be willing to set before us intentionally things that are gonna draw our relationship with God deeper which means we have to be careful about what we're setting before our lives. And so we're gonna go to Deuteronomy chapter six and what it's kind of unpacking for us is how God uses our heart to draw us closer to him. So let's jump into this Deuteronomy chapter six and we'll read verses one to eight. The word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it, and that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you, and would you pray for me? Father, I thank you that we get to call you Father. What a gift, and yet I wanna acknowledge that the term Father can evoke a lot of pain in us, confusion, that we can see a father as punishing or harsh or cruel. And so, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you reveal the father through Jesus? He is the manifestation of your love, your presence, your truth. And so would we see what it means to be a father, but would we first see what it means to be loved by a father through Jesus Christ, your son? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Deuteronomy chapter six, it's a moment in the life of the nation of Israel. They were in slavery for 400 years. It's a long time. And they cried out to God and God rescued them. He sent Moses, he sent some plagues. Eventually there was a lamb that was sacrificed, blood was placed over the door frames of their homes and God rescued this people for himself and brought them into the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness that God kind of wooed their hearts to his. They went through challenges, hardships, difficulties. They experienced God provide for them manna from heaven, water from a rock, words through the tablets that were given to Moses. And God shepherd his people through that time. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, before they're about to take possession of the promised land, through Moses, God is speaking to them and he gives them this prayer Much like we pray the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, and I hope that's a part of your daily practice, I usually pray the Lord's Prayer around noontime. The Shema, the hero Israel, was something that uh, people would pray in the morning, and they'd also pray at night. And it was a way of reminding themselves of who God is, who they are, and what God has promised to them. And in verse two, we see kind of the place where our heart and our affections for God need to begin, and it starts with this word that may be challenging to you, but it says that you may fear the Lord. Now, we tend not to like that idea of fearing God, but we don't have a problem with fearing lots of things in life, many things that have influence over us. But the idea of fear is not anxiety or dread, though when God's presence shows up, we feel overwhelmed because we are human and we are finite. And yet then you hear his voice, and it's the voice of a father, And so when it talks about fear, it's the concept of reverent awe, that the God we worship spoke creation into existence through his word. That's power. He has all sovereignty and authority over all things. He holds the universe in the palm of his hands. That's how majestic he is. And so when we approach him, we recognize this is who God is. And yet he is the God who has rescued us, redeemed us, loved us, chased after us and yet is so intimate that he wants our hearts to be directed towards him. So we want to fear God. And how does that work? Well, watch this in verse two. How does the fear of the Lord show up in your life? That you may fear the Lord your God, how? By keeping all his statutes and his commands. Which I commanded you all the days of your life that your days may be long. Verse three. Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to to do them, that life may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. The way we express our worship of God is through obedience. Now, not obedience to a dictator, but obedience to a rescuer, one that's rescued us ourselves out of slavery out of sin, out of our own self-condemnation into life that Jesus calls eternal, which is an abundant life today and a life that never, never ends. But for us to obey God, we have to be able to hear God. And we have to know what God wants us to obey. And that's where the Bible comes in. That when Moses is speaking, he's saying that we are to obey God's commands. How are we going to hear his commands if we don't spend time in the word of God, listening to his voice. You know, Augustine said it this way. He says, if you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like in the gospels, in the gospels what you do not believe, I'm sorry, I totally blew that. Can you put that slide up? Here it is. It was really good until I read it. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Now, allow that to sit in. What he's suggesting is that so often what we do is we project ourselves onto God. And so when we approach God, we expect God not to contradict with us, right? Because God's going to support what I think. And that's not a God, that's just A relationship with yourself. Because if God can never say no to you, if he can never contradict with you, if if you can't wrestle with him, that's not a relationship. And see, as we come to the Word of God, we want to come to it as it is. And it's okay to wrestle, it's okay to struggle. But we want to know that the reason we're coming to it is not just to obey, but to commune, it's about a relationship. And in that relationship, there's law. And some of us might think, well, I don't like the idea of law and relationship. Every relationship comes with law. I told you I was married for 25 years. I've broken a lot of my wife's laws, and none of those laws are in our refrigerator. But I know them. Why? Because I love my wife, and my wife loves certain things. And if I don't honor those things, I'm not going to have communion. The same thing is true with God. And the scripture reveals God's heart his love and his passion. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Because see, love has to do with trust. Do I trust Jesus? And do I trust him enough to actually surrender and submit my life to his commands? That's the question that we need to struggle with. The challenge is so often what we do when we approach scripture is we, I would say we approach it culturally, that we take the values of our culture and then we apply them to scripture and where the values of our culture line up, then the Bible's good and where the values of our culture don't line up, then the Bible's Bible's bad. One person who has helped me with this, there's a book called Eat This Book by Eugene Peterson which talks about how we approach scripture. And he talks about some of the challenges we have as we've replaced the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, with a replacement Trinity. And here's how he captures this, and I'm going to quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, But the three personal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is replaced by a very individualized personal Trinity of my wants, my holy needs, and my holy feelings that often when we approach scripture, we're reading it through my wants, my needs, and my feelings. Now, let me pause there. It's important to pay attention to your wants, your needs, and your feelings. God will communicate through that, but they're not your authority. Do you know the difference? If you ignore them, then you're ignoring yourself, and you're ignoring a means through which you can connect to God. We don't want to erase those things, but they're not our authority. Now, in our culture, wants, needs, and feelings are your authority. And so often when we come to Scripture, we come to Scripture with our wants, meaning that we come to read Scripture in a way where we already think we understand what the good life is. And so where the Bible lines up with my definition of the good life, Jesus, we're tight. But where the Bible doesn't line up with my definition of the good life, I don't want that. And so we reject aspects of God and we accept others. That's how we approach it through our wants or through our feelings. That we trust how we feel. And if it doesn't feel right, then we don't trust it. The challenge is we're putting a lot of trust in ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but in my wants and my desires, there's a lot of contradiction in me. I want to be a great father, but I also don't want to be inconvenienced. And having kids is so stinking inconvenient. I mean, I love my kids. I think they're tremendous young men. But on the one hand, I want to be a father. On the other hand, I want to be independent and do what I want. Which one is me? And sometimes I need somebody to sit me down and say, hey, this isn't what's most important. I also have weaknesses in my own life. I'm an approval addict. And I know I can approach situations. And if I'm not aware of my own heart, I'll walk into situations where I'm just trying to gain the approval of others. And I need that still, small voice of the Spirit to say, hey, Jason, you're okay with me. Now let me use you and let me love through you. I can set myself aside. The challenge with our wants, feelings, and desires is that they're not the authority, and they're not often clear. And so instead of following your heart, let's guard it. See, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says it this way. It says, above all, guard your heart. Because notice, everything flows from it. In the Hebrew, heart is not emotions. It's the totality. It's the person. It's the self. And instead of following your heart like our culture says, why don't we lead it? Why don't we care for it? Love it, listen to it, but shepherd it. And to guard your heart is to instruct your heart, to set before your heart the things that are gonna lead to life. And that's where the scriptures come in. Paul captures it this way in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, eight. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, pure, whatever's lover, lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything Excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's the question. What are you setting before your heart? It's gonna show up in how you practice life. So let's just go to how you're practicing life. How was life this week? Can we check in on that? Because the content of your life reveals the, what you're setting before your heart. And, and a lot of us have chewed on a lot of bad heart stuff for a long time, right? You're not gonna get over that in one week. You've had 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, can I keep going? 90 years for some of us. God bless you 90-year-olds. And you have fed on something that shows up in your practice and what we need to do is to examine what we're feeding on and then replace it with, with God's words to set our hearts on the word of God. And that's, as we go back to Deuteronomy 6, that's what he's saying in verses four and following. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now this is a challenging statement, certainly today as well. It's called the exclusivity of Christ, that there is one God. And see, Jesus is the one that reveals us to us, that he is the way to the Father, he is the truth, and he is the life. Now that's not popular, I get it. It puts conflicts in me as well, but am I gonna to surrender to what I want or what, who God is? And, and he's revealing to us that God is one and therefore our devotion to God has to be singular. We can't be devoted to God and money or God and my version of sexuality or God and my version of political right or left or wrong or good. We're devoted to Christ and Christ alone. And so how does that flesh itself out? Well, it sounds kind of like Jesus, verse five, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love him with all that you have. And then notice, and these words that I command you today shall be on not just your mind, but your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit down. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, just make it a part of life. Don't make it weird, make it natural because you talk about the things that you set before your heart, don't you? And that's all he's saying, is bring, bring your relationship with God into life. Fathers, one of the best things you can do is admit to your kids, sometimes just what's going on in your life. Because your kids are scared and sometimes it's good to be able to connect with you and say, you know, you know sometimes your dad's afraid. You know what that does to the heart of a child? It gives them comfort and stability and confidence because you can say, you know what, sometimes I'm afraid, but when I am, I can trust in Christ and I can trust in God and I can lean not on my own understanding. And that child begins to see the beauty of listening to the voice of his heavenly father. And so verses eight and nine, you shall bind them, meaning God's commands, is a sign on your hands, and they shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and your gates. You shall do whatever it takes to keep these words before you. See, one of our core beliefs is the authority of Scripture. And it's the, the idea that I submit my life to the word of God and that is my highest authority. And all of us have something that's an authority in our life and recognize you're all looking to something, whether your authority is your feelings or your desires or some scientific method or philosophy or a way of life. All of us are submitting ourselves to some form of authority. And the word authority just means author. And see, God is the author of scripture. And the place I wanna kind of land with this is to recognize that Deuteronomy 6, the place that most shows up, that prayer that they prayed for thousands of years, it shows up in Jesus. And if you wanna know what it looks like to live the Old Testament, you look at Jesus. Because often we struggle sometimes, there's passages, right, in the Old Testament, you struggle with, I get it. But what does it look like to actually live that stuff out? To have one God, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, it's Jesus. We look at Jesus, so as we close, I wanna go to Matthew five and just understand what was Jesus' relationship to scripture? Because I hear a lot of people say this, and maybe you say this, I like Jesus. I don't like the Bible. And that's okay, I'm glad you're here. But to reject the Bible is to reject parts of Jesus because he's the fulfillment of the Bible which means it's okay to wrestle with some of what Scripture says, but we need to see it through the lens of the fulfillment, which is Jesus Christ. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there. And just like our day, Jesus had to confront the false views of Scripture in his day. Now, those false views were propped up by the religious leaders. Some of the main views were the Sadducees were one type of view, and then the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees were those who were kind of take it or leave it when it came to the Bible. There are parts that are like, yes, that's my word right there. Other parts are like, that's nuts. And that sounds familiar, right? So the Sadducees did not believe in the miraculous stuff in the Bible. And their Bible was pretty short. Their reading material was pretty small. It's just the first five books. They rejected everything else after the first five books, rejected the prophets, the Psalms, And anything that was supernatural in Scripture, they had a lot of skepticism. They didn't believe in an afterlife. I mean, you're wondering what kind of religious leaders are these? They didn't believe in the resurrection. And they aligned their belief with God perfectly with the culture in which they lived. And the Scriptures that they believed lined up with protecting their power. And that's how they read the Word of God. And Jesus is going to confront them. Now, the others are the Pharisees. Pharisees loved the Bible. They read it privately, they read it publicly, but they didn't allow the Bible to, in a sense, read them. It was information, sometimes to gain power or authority, but it wasn't, it wasn't communion with God. And so Jesus is going to address them and says, you gotta go way beyond where they are, because what they would do is they'd take the Bible and then they put fences around them, cultural fences. So that to really follow God, you have to adopt this kind of culture. We said that in America today. It's an American way of being Christian. And if you're not an American Christian, you're not a real Christian, right? And I'm sure every culture has this nuance that we apply cultural values over the word. And it's not about relationship with God. It's about sustaining a certain kind of culture and a way of living. Now, Jesus is going to address both of those as we go to Matthew chapter five. To the Sadducees, he says this, Matthew 5, 19. Therefore, whoever, notice, relaxes, takes out, removes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of interesting, this word, relax, in the Greek, I was reading this week, and it means to untie. And it's the idea of a thread, have you ever taken You see a thread on your shirt, it's no big deal, I'm gonna pull that, but you pull it and everything starts to open up. And that's what he's saying. When you pull that thread and you say, you know what, I'm better, I know better, this doesn't matter, it starts to unravel the whole thing. And then to the Pharisees, he says in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It can't be about external obedience, it has to be about the desires of the heart. So how did Jesus read the Bible? Uh, Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God, which is another excellent book to turn to when it comes to reading scripture, he said this, few things are more terrifying in the spiritual arena than those who absolutely know, but who are unloving, hostile, proud, superstitious, and fearful. You have knowledge, but you don't have communion. And the purpose of the word is to be in communion and relationship with God so he can start addressing my hostility, because I got that. And he can address my pride and my superstition and my fear because I'm coming into communion with him. I'm not just trying to get it right or to argue it right. I'm trying to be in a right relationship. And so how did Jesus approach the Bible? He says in verse 18, truly I say to you, unless until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, a dot will pass away from the law until all of it is accomplished. Then he goes on in verse 19, whoever does them, notice, who lives them out and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus did. You read the gospels and you see him teaching and doing what the scriptures say. And Jesus had a very high view of, A scripture I know some of us struggle with, and we want to take it out, but the stuff we want to take out, Jesus embraced. So in John 10, 35, he said, the scriptures cannot be broken. He says in Mark 12, 36, quoting, he says, David himself in the Holy Spirit. So David speaking through the Holy Spirit declared, and then he quoted one of the Psalms. Matthew 4, referencing the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from, notice, the mouth of God. Jesus had a very high view of scripture. And when he read the Psalms and he read David's word, he said, you know what? The Holy Spirit spoke this through David. And none of these words are going to pass away. Instead, all of them are going to come to fulfillment. And so he says in verse 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law. To abolish means to tear down. It's kind of like the idea of taking a building and breaking it down. That's what the Sadducees and Pharisees thought because Jesus was messing with their power. He moved their cheese, if that makes sense to you. But instead he says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. The Old Testament is incomplete. Jesus is the completion. We see in Jesus what it looks like to be rescued by God, and to live a life that reflects the kingdom of God. You know, again, I I hear a lot today, people will say, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm just not into the Bible, at at least certain parts of the Bible. There's areas that I really struggle with. And often what we'll do is we'll take the cultural norms of our day, right? And we'll try. And and I get, understand, I get the tension. I get why we wanna do this because I don't wanna be in conflict with my neighbor or my culture, or the people in my family that I love that believe. I don't wanna be in conflict. And so what we do is we take Jesus and we take our culture, and right? You try to weave it in there. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, I'm sorry, the problem's Jesus. He had a high view of the word of God. And he held it in such, such a way that he submitted his life to the Father, and he said, This is the path of life. And, and understand, I know often when I talk about this kind of thing, you all have some concept of what this means. I'm talking about your way that you do this. Because there's a liberal and a conservative, there's an American Christian, Hispanic Christian way of doing that. We all have things that we try to weave in. What would it look like just to listen to the Word of God through God's still small voice and allow Him to speak to us? Jesus is the fulfillment of the Bible. Are we willing to listen to him? You know, Andrew Wilson, who wrote another great book called Unbreakable, What the Son of God Says About the Word of God, he said this, ultimately our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. The man who is God, the king of the world, the crucified, risen, exalted rescuer. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust in the Bible. I trust in the Bible because I trust in Jesus. Jesus. And I know those two are related, but hear what he's saying. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered, and I think that's important, or my answers remain unpopular. Now, let me close with this. Do you know the disciples had a real hard time with Jesus' words? they didn't agree with all of them and they didn't understand all of them. Certainly on this side of the resurrection and the cross, if you go to John chapter six, Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And he says, unless you eat my flesh, right? And drink my blood, you're like, whoa, this is getting weird. And that's exactly how many of the disciples, they left. I don't get this. See, often we think, well, people back then, they totally understood it. No, there were things that they struggled with. Peter says about Paul's writings, there's stuff that guy talks about. I don't, get, I don't understand it. It's hard. And Peter goes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, listen, you got to stop teaching this stuff. It's conflicting with the culture. You're losing people, man. Our church is dying. We're not going to pay the mortgage. We can't. It's falling apart. And he says, you know, Peter, are you going to leave? And I imagine right there, the wheels, right? Well, oh, that's a good question. And he goes, no, because you have, Jesus, you have the words of life. I may not understand what you just said, but I trust you. And skeptics argue with each other. Christians argue with God. Let that settle. Christians wrestle with God. Skeptics wrestle with the world and each other. Let us be disciples of Jesus. And when there are challenges that you have, and all of us do, bring it to him. Could you just bring it to him? He knows you're struggling and bring it to him. And when you read those passages, don't ignore them. Sit in them. Because what if God's intimacy shows up in our areas of conflict? And when you read that passage, start noticing what is it making you feel? What is it making you think? And then just simply talk to him. And instead of walking past it, say, Jesus, I wanna trust you in this. I wanna surrender to you would it be a relationship at that point? And not just the scripture's a way of controlling God or figuring out life, getting my best life. That's, that's like a gumball machine right there. It's about communion. And if we would commune with God and experience him and listen to him, the word of God would become alive and it would lead to the life that God's, God's called us to live. So this summer, would you just spend some time in Scripture? I want to share just quickly a few resources if you want to pull that slide up. The two on the side are apps. One is the ESV app. You can open that and just listen. If you want to listen to the Gospel of John, that's a great way to get through Scripture is you're driving. Just listen to a Gospel. Maybe this summer it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Which one do you want? we got four. What if this summer you just listened and maybe you need to go to the message or the NLT, something that flows a little bit better, that's okay. What if you just spent time listening to the gospel, listening to the life of Jesus? That's one app you can use also, the U Version Bible app. And both of those apps, they have plans where you can start reading and getting into it. And sometimes we need to read short portions and just kind of dive into it and say, God, what does this mean? What would it look like in my life? And sometimes we just need to listen. And the second one is one that I use in the middle. It's a podcast and it just reads the Bible to you. And when you listen every day for 10 minutes, you go through the Bible. Now, sometimes I don't hear it all as I'm I'm usually in the shower when I'm listening to it. A little too much there. But it's a way. We need to find a way, church, that we're getting this. And then would you talk to one another? Would you find community and wrestle with this together? Hey, we're gonna celebrate communion this morning as we... Close the service. And I don't know what God's stirring in you in the time that we've shared together. It could be simply about Father's Day and the reality of fathers in our life and the hurt that comes from that or the joy that comes from that. Or it could be some aspect of Scripture itself where you find yourself in conflict. Would you come up and if you haven't received the elements that are available in the back and they're also available up front, and would you just simply hold those elements, and, and notice that the Father's with us. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. He comes alongside us through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Word who's man made flesh. And we have an opportunity this morning just to wrestle with Him. And so if you've taken those elements, let's spend the next few moments in prayer, and then together we'll, we'll share those elements together. Father, I'm thankful for that phrase you just keep repeating in my mind, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, confess my life is so noisy that when I read, I don't hear. And I want to confess, Father, that there's so much in our lives that need to just be be silenced, to be stilled, so that through your word, Father, we might Experience those words, Abba, Father. Jesus, on the night in which you were betrayed, you took bread and broke it and gave thanks. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, he took a cup. He said, this cup, it represents the new covenant established in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns.